0: Thank you for tuning in. We all have gaps, individually, as a team, and as an organization. But how do we, number one, recognize them, and number two, close them? Our episode today digs into both, and we do so with Pamela Scott, founder and executive coach at Mentorloft. And we get into the real and the sometimes messy stuff that comes with leader in organizational training and development at all and at the highest levels. There's no easy hack or downloadable app to get us to be our best, but there are ways to achieve our greatest potential faster and do so with a lot less pain and wasted effort. Listen in as Pam and I talk through executive and next generation differences and similarities, coaching, leadership and management development, who's responsible for what and the power of asking great questions. This conversation is also another great example of the dialogue format we have here in the podcast to allow for better, deeper, and more thoughtful conversations into subjects that matter and in ways that give you inside access to learn, speak about, and to share. And after 21 straight days of solo episodes as part of the first ever AEC Industry PodStorm, the 21 straight days of podcast to get you and your team positioned for greater success in 2021 and beyond. I was thankful to re kick off season two here with Pam Scott to help us close our leadership gaps and position our people to help drive our numbers. So without any further delay, let's do it.
1: AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Pamela Scott, founder and executive coach at Mentor Loft, and we'll be talking about how we can help close the leadership gap within our organizations and set us all up for greater success. Welcome to the podcast, Pam.
2: Thanks Pete, it's really good to be here.
0: Well, it's great um, to speak with you again, especially on this subject, Um, but let's start today by getting to know you. Can you share a bit about you, your background, um, and how you got into the AEC space and what you're focusing on now?
2: Well, uh, my background is pretty varied. I uh, started out as a newspaper editor and um, did that for 13 years, including two years in the sports department with 42 guys at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And uh, did, then became as a stay-at-home mom for a few years, went back to work for writing for what is now called the Government Accountability Office. So I was working with Congress, and then um, transitioned out of that to start my own business 20 plus years ago. And it was the greatest move I ever made because I get to do what I want to do with the people I want to do it with. And um, so I love being an entrepreneur. In terms of the AEC, that was um, the smartest business decision I've made because. My area of expertise at the time was communication. It still is. But when you're talking about communication issues, everybody has communication problems. That's readily, they acknowledge that. And, but it's very hard to market to the world. And, um, and I just, I was getting very frustrated. So I sat down and did some market research on three different niches. And for the life of me, I can't remember what one of them was, but one of them was one of the three was um, accountants because I had an experience lots of experience working with accountants and engineering, and my dad's an engineer, Georgia Tech um, industrial, yeah, industrial engineer, IE, and so when I looked at the data from the three niches of engineering was the clear winner for me because engineers are smart people and they want to get smarter and they have a sense of humor. You guys all have a sense of humor, which is a requirement for me to work with anyone. And they like, you know, know, engineers like to learn. They, if they don't know the answer, they want to know the answer. And um, boy, that was just the smartest decision I ever made. And that's been, Well, over 15 years of working with engineers and I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: And many opportunities to help us um, perfect the art of communication.
2: There's, there's some avenues there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, well, your work, you've worked with and continue to work with both um, CEO and business owner types, as well as next generation leaders, when you're working um, do you see, are, are there differences between your work with the C-level um, executives and next generation leaders? Or are, I guess, are there differences? And if so, what are the differences between your work?
2: Most of the time, I would say that there aren't a lot of differences because the issues that folks need to learn, the skills, the knowledge, all of that is usually the same. It's just that it's way more important at the CEO level that they learn to manage their people and um, give feedback and nurture talent, you know, develop their talent and get their so own self-confidence up. because a lot of the people I work with um, become CEOs. Whether well, it's Yeah, it's they've become CEOs and they have a great um, they have great doubts about their ability to do that job and that job in quotes because there is no job description, not really, to be a CEO. And so most of the folks I've worked with at that level have had that. That self-doubt and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing at all. And at the at the lower, not lower level, but at the next gen level, as I refer to the next generation people, at the next gen level, the the issues are often the same, but they carry less. I don't want less weight, or they're not as. Ooh, if you mess this up today, the whole company is going to go down the tubes. Right, the
0: smaller thing. ripples in terms of ripple effect. It could be a project or a single relationship right. versus you know a a business strategy gone awry
2: right exactly um and the ceos don't have anybody to talk to uh that's been one of the the benefits I've been able to bring to people is the CEO can can sit down and unload and I don't know what to do with this. Let's, well, let's talk it out.
0: Right. And well, and do you find so you it's almost like the progression. So becoming a, a, a great practitioner is, you know, to be become a manager after a practitioner. It's a different skill set, different mindset. Mm-hmm. Same thing, a leader after being a great manager and, and a CEO after being sort of a great principal type leader or that type of thing. You mentioned you know, getting clarity, do you find, uh, you know, a lot of executives you work with, they sort of know the answer, but they need almost that white space and maybe feedback to be able to just talk it out? Or do you think in addition to talking it out, you know, there's some fundamental, I was never taught this. So therefore, <laughs> this is sort of how you should frame up your job description.
2: Ex- the, the both pieces of that are accurate, because the things that I cover with the CEOs of the engineering firms are the things they didn't teach you in college. They taught you how to be engineers. They didn't teach you how to manage a $10 million business. Um, So some of it is acquiring new skills. For example, one of the CEOs I'm working with has chosen to focus on talent development this year. And um, he's done a great job of of listening to the advice that I've shared with him, which is do those things that only you can do. as CEO, quit, you know quit quit doing all those other tasks. those are there are people that can take those tasks on. And um, and so he's done a really good job of parsing things out, getting things off of his plate. And for this year it's the focus is to develop his people and that's what um, when we did a survey that was what people wanted was they wanted more development time. And so he started having these meetings and I don't mean to laugh because I, I can feel his pain and he said this people management stuff is really hard, you know. Yes, it is. <laughs> it, it's not the same as what you do as an engineer. So that's at the CEO level. And at the, at the next gen level, um, I think there's, a, there's more of a sounding board as well as me teaching someone. Like yesterday on a call with somebody about um, who's going to be leading a team. And I said, have you had any team leadership training? Well, no. Do you have you been on a lot of teams that were actually officially led by someone who had leadership training? No, Um, I said, you know, what is the challenge you're facing? And uh, he said, for me not to do all the talking. Because I go into a, a, a team meeting, or and I do all the talking. I said the job of a leader in a team situation is to ask all the questions and shut up, and and it, you know get the other people to participate. Well, that's the absolute opposite of everything he's ever done in his career, and so that's that's a big challenge for someone to transition to make that transition from telling, which I'm not real big on anyway, to asking questions and, and getting people to contribute information and, and work collectively. Right.
0: Well, I mean, at a practitioner and manager level, you are telling people your results of your analysis or you're telling the client where the project's at. So to your point, you've been taught that, but up at a leadership level, it's it's trying to to move the the people forward and and execute and and share ideas and reframe sort of the issues and problems. I I want to definitely drill down into what you're talking about as far as parsing out work and delegation um, to the next group of people who are, are in most cases, interested in in helping. How can I help? How can I take things off your plate and advance Mm -hmm. my career in the process? how if i'm a ceo and i've made the decision um, or a senior division leader or whatever and i'm going to involve more people i want to train and develop i want to take things off my plate give people opportunities through that process how how do i identify who are that who who are the next generation leaders in my firm or in my team is there not a not a test or a set of criteria but how would you suggest who are the right people you should tap to invest in that opportunity
2: if that I'm uh, a person let's use a name because we're gonna I'm gonna get confused with too many people here so we'll use the name Chris because it could be a male or a female so if if Chris has decided I really want to step up, and, and yet, in order for me to do that, I need to take some of the stuff off of my plate and get it down to my people so they can learn and pass it on down through the generations. Um, one of the first things I would ask Chris is who are the top performers in your group? Your gut knows. You know you know that this is a good performer and this person always um, shows up on time. Does what they say they're going to do, delivers products on time, takes care of their responsibilities like they should, as opposed to letting deadlines slip and all of this kind of stuff. Um, the other thing to look for is who's showing initiative, because it's that person who's showing initiative who's saying, you know. <laughs> I think we really have a need here for some more training in whatever area, non-technical training, soft skills, people skills. Um, I'd like to be in charge of of finding that body of work and see how I can help the staff do that. The people that you're looking for are the people that are gonna stand up and make themselves visible. And that can be a quiet person in the corner who maybe only has those conversations with Chris, one-on-one, but that person wants to contribute as well.
0: So it almost seems <clears throat> like, you know, these are people who are doing their job well. And like, to your point, you showing initiative, but also thinking next level up, it seems.
2: Yes. And and I mean, managing up, of course, we don't even want to, mm-hmm. we could go for, on for hours on how to manage up, but um, they have an awareness that they, they'll go to the boss and say, Hey, how can I help? Or I really would like to take on more responsibility. What would you like to get rid of that I could, could handle? So the people who have those conversations are the ones that you want to tap as your next gen leaders.
0: And your your ability to help um, a CEO or a senior executive, um, number one, you know, start picking out who are the people who are showing the initiative and wanting to step up. And then you know, be helping them, encouraging them to actually give things away. Um, what 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 is that balance you find between really owning the results um, yourself to the point where you want to do them as an executive, versus creating that sort of trust and environment of allowing people to do them, knowing that it, it might not be perfect, it might be eighty percent. How, how do you navigate that that gap?
2: Um. The, I I'm, hope I'm getting the question right, because I may not, the challenge when you mention 80%, the the, the challenge is 80% done is better than perfect. And uh, just had this conversation a few days ago <laughs> and, and learning that, um, that, that you just have to go, you have to try, you have to reach out. So I have one client who is is challenging himself because he he deals with analysis paralysis. And he is at what we would consider the next gen level. He's a principal. And, um, and he knows he spends too much time working on analyzing stuff, even after he's done it. And then going back and second guessing and all of this and that's energy that's not being it's not serving him as all to to spend that time on that. So to get him to redirect that energy into an area where he can improve his people skills or communication skills or mentoring skills is is the challenge that I encounter with that.
0: Right. So, yeah, but it, that, that's a little bit of an education that, you know, we, we need to make progress. It doesn't need to be perfect. Or, it, you know, if there's a level of perfection necessary because of the work that we're doing, you've got to drive that level of perfection further in the organization. You, it can't be just sort of at your level. You've got to, you know, from a cultural perspective or um, your accountability, you, you've got to drive that level of necessary performance deeper in your organization. It can't stop with you as the leader.
2: Absolutely. It has to. All of this has to trickle down. I mean, it, you know, it's um, each generation needs this training because engineering schools haven't added all the people skills and the soft skills and all this to their curriculum because you're busy learning all this other stuff.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I, I've had the you know, the, a, a practitioner might say, oh, I'm done you know, a quality manager will say, you know, uh, when they're done, it's done, done, but a principal who has ownership of the entire process and, you know, well, I, when I look at it, it's done, done, done. So, I mean, there's just levels, you know, people just don't know what done is, is mm-hmm. in a way. How, that shows gaps, like are, are leaders not being clear with what is done, what is done, done, done. So when you tell me it's done, is there a gap with, I just haven't communicated? You know the level of quality that's necessary, or really what's necessary you know wh- wh- what you need to perform. I, how do we close the gap so that anyone in the organization, or or that next generation leader, we'll call it a manager who wants to be a principal, or a principal wants to be a CEO, h- how do we clarify what is the done done done, and so we can have these opportunities for growth that just doesn't pile up on somebody's plate. So the, I guess the question is, what gaps do you see? What are some of the biggest gaps between? what the CEO or the senior senior leaders need and what the next generation is able to offer at this point?
2: Um, again, I think where we are right now, the, the gaps are still um, the same at each level. That's going to change as this begins to get pushed down and the new generations come up. Uh, talking to a CEO, engineering CEO, and um, typical engineering um, profile, and when you talk about strategic planning, oh yeah, we're doing strategic planning. We know what we're doing six months from now. No, 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 that's not strategic planning. Strategic planning, as you know, is long-term planning and the whole SWOT analysis and all of that. So so part of it is the language that they use, that we all use, that uh, strategic, do we mean short-term or do we mean long-term? Critical thinking skills. You've heard me get on my soapbox about this. Um, People who should know how to think Yet they don't seem to do that, or they can only get so far in the thought process before they can start applying things to it. Um, Let's see. uh, I had um, anything communication related because we all operate out of our own heads. So I don't know what you're thinking today. I don't know your background other than what you've told me. I don't know if I start talking about a certain topic that it's going to really not fit in well with your thinking because I don't know what's between your ears. I don't know where you've been in your life experience. One, one of the guys, um, and I laugh because it was just so funny, was talking about he he was working with a younger staffer and trying to get the younger staffer to do something some type of work the way that my client does it which just started a and go to b and c and d in a nice linear progression and he said i don't understand why he can't just sit down and finish it and so i found i would looked at temperament which is another tool that's out there and showed him how he functions, how my client functions, and how this younger person function are 100% different from each other.
0: Yeah, mm, so that gets into sort of your, your personality, but then also sort of your behavior and and how that, you should say I guess it's a, from a communication perspective, uh, you know, I'm, it, it's a self-awareness from the leader perspective, but then that emotional intelligence, right? I also have social awareness, right? I, I'm, I'm aware enough that other people might have been a different headspace or might have different experiences. Right. So not only do I know how I come across and how I operate and can be seen and experienced, but I'm aware enough to understand that other people might not be the same personality yeah. type as me as whatever. And so it's communication probably starts with that self-awareness and that even an interest in being highly emotionally intelligent.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And the big, the big aha for this client was he, when he looked at, Oh, this guy needs to have that flexibility. He needs to be able to switch. He can't go linear all the way through the alphabet. He's going to mix it up. And, and the beautiful thing was my client said, I get it. He's nothing like me. That's, that's a wonderful thing to experience when you are a coach is that wonderful yeah that insight that my client got as yeah. to people are being different
0: and do you feel as though when people move up the ranks manager to team leader to principal they're so focused on the job at hand and what's necessary and what they have to learn and what they probably haven't let go of yet they, they sort of forget the relationship part or we're squeezed out the relationship
2: um Yes, Uh, there was a report that I was looking at yesterday um, where uh, it was saying that. That um, I think it was 52 percent of of millennials um, who left said nobody had asked them if they were happy at work. So Gallup has their whole Q12 set of questions that they That Gallup uh, said these are the questions you need to focus on for employee engagement and when you look at those questions and you ask them of people in your office. um, You start to uncover the fact that some folks are pretty miserable. And that, of course, leads to Mm -hmm. turnover and all the stuff that comes with that
0: right statistically 60 to 70 percent you know
2: across industries
0: i i i do want to that i I do want to dive into that employee engagement piece um because that's sort of engaging will allow people to sort of you know advance in their careers and and top performers and that type of thing but i wanted to just circle back so we talked about that you mentioned the gaps strategic thinking yeah um in, in the difference between short thinking short term and long term. Um, and then you also mentioned critical thinking, could you dive a little deeper into you know, is it just we haven't almost maybe at all levels, we haven't really perfected the skill of of, of strategic thinking, and, and what that might be versus you know, the, the, the day versus the long term. Um, but then could you also talk about your experiences with critical thinking and where and, and how how we can close that gap or at least better understand it?
2: Um, I think The one of the big one of the big pieces of expanding on someone's thinking ability is, on the part of the manager to ask them questions, ask that staffer or whoever it is you're you're working with, questions to get them to challenge their thinking. And I had mentioned to you uh, that there's the critical thinking roadmap that Zarvana has. made available to people for a download, and it actually takes you step by step through that. So it's a, you know, it's it's a process by which you set out to attain an, a goal, but what are the steps that you have to take in order to meet that goal? And too often people want to shortchange them. Oh, well, you want a fan? I found a fan. Here's a fan. Well, is it the best fan? Are there other options? other you know it, it's just they think and then they stop thinking
0: so it's that is that you know as you're diving into solving whatever problem you need to solve whether it be technical managerial or right. client facing it's it's really i guess getting into the detail what's the depth of this discussion that we have to have or what's the depth of that thinking it's the judgment it's the if-then scenarios you mm-hmm. know if i do this then that and, and so it's really just really coming up with a reasoned answer so that that level of critical thinking, which is sort of judgment, you know, in order in the engineering side and the architecture side, you know, going from learning things to getting to responsible charge of work. I mean, when we get licensed, I mean, presumably we have judgment. I mean, that, that, that's one of the study Mm -hmm. elements, but as you, do you think that's, that's still a gap, even if we pass the test in, or, or is it the, even a bigger gap as it relates to people and people maybe we've solved the technical gap in some ways or we have to teach our people that's like you know reinforce that with this next generation but do you think that critical thinking of people is just it's a next level
2: oh most definitely it's um it's a case of uh someone saying well i don't understand why she hasn't done what i told her to do i've told her five times why is she not doing this is she just stupid no, it's just that she doesn't understand what it is you're saying. You're not saying it in a way that that person can hear it and understand it and act on it. And I'm really anal <laughs> about that. It's that getting our communication clear so that people can understand or can at least ask intelligent questions about this is what you want me to do, and this is what I understand you want to come out of that um we think because we say something that people understand us and i'm sure there's somebody on this podcast who who's going to go i don't understand anything that woman said i apologize <laughs> but that's we're different people are different and we need to embrace and recognize that
0: do you think from a leadership perspective that if we truly want to become a leader that's effective are almost just disp- you know our, our, our first line of defense is if something's not getting done we might not have communicated that clearly we might not have been not, not that that other person fell down or doesn't care it's just maybe we weren't clear and so to have that humility to say how can I reframe that or why isn't this person doing that not that they're the problem but 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 maybe I wasn't clear did, did you because see that-, that as a sort of a, a first step to becoming an effective leader
2: yes um one of the folks that i've worked with uh is not he's a he's not a engineer he falls into another professional category and he his way of handing off assignments is to go here take this can you get this done i'll be back by two and the person is sitting there with this package dropped on the desk going do what I have no idea what this person wants, and then when he comes back, he gets all mad because what he wanted done wasn't done because he never communicated it. Um, that well, it, it, that break that happens all the time.
0: It 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 does, and it's interesting. I remember talking with a number of folks, and we were talking about you know people who had been successful. That there was either the, the case was I either had a great boss. Who coached and taught and mentored me and gave me these stretch opportunities and really walked me through, just was there for me. I, and and I, you know, hold, hold a lot of respect for that person. I, you know, I had this mentor. And the other side, very successful people. I had a boss that did care, Like they just threw me into the fire. I had to Mm -hmm. figure it all out on myself. I didn't have to rely on everybody. And it's sort of these two extremes, someone who was really coached and mentored and guided versus someone who I just had to figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously when you have figured it out on your own, I mean, you're, you're, you're better for it and all that stuff, but obviously, there's a lot of friction, um, loss of talent, there's you know, maybe a lot of client issues, there's a lot of time wasted, money wasted in that process, so may not be the most recommended approach, although you could, your stars could still shine. How, um, Knowing that, well, assuming you've experienced the same thing, I mean, how do we, what's the difference between, you know, telling someone what to do and teaching them how to do it? I mean, what, could, can you unpack that a little bit? I mean, other than the mindset of, I don't, I can't just tell I have to teach like that, that's it. Let's assume that's the case. How do you go about changing someone's behavior?
2: It's not easy because we're asking them to learn learn a new skill set. We're asking them to not only learn it, but practice it, uh, review it and go, oh, I need to ask these questions in a different order or something like that. So it's part of the plan, do, check, circle, if you would think of that one, um, where I think this is the best way to approach teaching. um, I'm gonna use Chris again, but teaching Chris how to improve critical thinking skills. And so I take one approach to it and don't see any improvement on Chris's part, then I need to sit down with Chris and have a conversation about, was it a number one something I said was I unclear? Or um, was it you had fear of making a mistake? So you didn't want to let you didn't want to do the work because you were afraid you'd make a mistake. And then I would scream at you as opposed to going, "Yay, you made a mistake. That means you can learn from it. Um, it's and, and telling is never the way to help anybody learn. The way you help people learn is to ask them questions that make them think. And that is um, that is something I took away from my years in Vistage, because we were only allowed to ask questions at times, and we couldn't offer recommendations to people's problems. We just had to keep it in the question frame. But asking questions makes people think, and when they think, they make better decisions. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. Um, And the other, you know, aspect I think we've talked about in our previous conversations is when you're teaching somebody, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You do learn twice or or, or multiple times, right? Because you actually have to think through that you might have forgotten that there's 47 steps to that in your mind, there's four. So figure them out. Like that should be an easy jump, but because you did it 10 years ago or or you didn't, you've done it 15 times, you've written a proposal and won it. And, and there's a lot more complexity. So, if you actually break that down, you learn again.
2: Exactly. You almost get better at it. And the best way to learn is to have to teach. So, if there's an area that, that you want to teach somebody about, and just like your example, and yeah, I remember that, there's only four steps to it. And then you start having to teach someone, and then you go, oh, no, there's 47 steps to this, and I've just forgotten them all. So, it reinforces. the the teacher's own knowledge.
0: So, I mean, but it sounds like, you know, that's a shift. I'm a leader. I I want to engage my people and and teach them something. Number one, I have to have an interest in that relationship and having those conversations. I have to be interested in talking with you, not just sort of emailing you and hoping the results come back to me Thursday afternoon. Um, And then I have to actually do it and be productive in those conversations. Is, Is it just a matter of, realizing that that's important? Um, or do you think there's there's another barrier? We just don't know how to talk and communicate? Do you think it, it's a, yeah. it, it's just let the light be shown? OK, I have to do that. Or do you think it's a combination of this is so important because people drive the business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you need to develop a skill set and actually time block it. I, I mean, do you think it's, it's that basic, or do you think there's more?
2: Well, when it comes to the example you've used there with communication, um, that's that's is such a deep area and and complicated because we all think everybody talks and thinks like us, and um, if you're intentional about helping somebody develop, and I, I I like the word intentional because I think too often it's like oh here, go read this paper and you'll learn how to do X Y Z, and of course that doesn't nothing nothing comes out of that and if you're intentional about helping somebody develop then you will spend that time and you will look for ways to communicate hopefully you will look for ways to communicate more clearly with each other um, if I'm working with somebody who's like me the conversation goes one way if I'm working with somebody who's the opposite for me it's a whole different conversation it's a completely different conversation. Doesn't sound alike at all.
0: And that's that's awareness and you know situational awareness, self awareness and situational awareness. Do you feel as though if we had to call it, that onus of that is on the leader? It, Absolutely. It, I mean, ideally, uh, someone showing initiative sort of initiates that contact, right? But but that would be because there's a vacuum from the top. Is it? Can you almost just state that should be 100% coming from the leader? Um, and if it's not, there's something awry.
2: Yeah, this is this is a part of a leader's responsibility is to um, to find those gaps, to find those areas that aren't being addressed and go, okay, we need to do something here. and then equipping the right people so they can help other people do that.
0: Right, and ideally, I mean, in almost every case, I found that people want to be engaged. It, it is, it is a major lift that someone from a position above them engages with them and, and wants to involve them in something. Um, is that been your experience too, when you work with Next Generation? That it's the the just the being tapped on the shoulder and being invited to a meeting or being considered for something that it's just such a boost.
2: Oh yes, I mean, y- you got your. You know, you got your deadbeats in an office, but nobody's going to tap a deadbeat on the shoulder and go, I think you have great potential because they probably haven't seen potential out of that that deadbeat before. But it is an honor. And one of the firms I work with every year or however often they um, bring in or they elevate someone to principal position, they hire Pam. <laughs> I'm, so, so now it's a, it's just a practice, and this has gone on for quite some time. That we have a new principal, we need, you know, bring Pam in, let him, let her work with this principal for a couple of years, so they learn what it means to be a principal. And the people who have that experience know that they have been gifted. I'll I'll put it that way. That not every company does that. Not every. Even every office in this company would not do it. But um, whether it's me or whether it's someone else, that somebody is saying we want to invest in you.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I have a a good friend of mine who does executive coaching for Fortune five hundred firms in, in, in the military, and um, you know he shares with me at those levels, if you don't get a coach. You know, when you're looking to ascend to the, you know that, that level of leadership, whether it be a principal mm-hmm. level or, or in the C-suite, you know, that's going to be a problem. Like th- that is part of the package. And if you're further in the organization and you're one of the high potentials, if you don't get offered a coach, it means that you're probably not on the A-track. And so that, that, whereas 20 years ago, if you got a coach, it was, oh no, it's remedial it's completely flipped and it's, it's sort of, it is sort of a, a, a nod that, Hey, you, we're, we're investing in you, the pace of change of business, all you have to accomplish technically personally um, in a leadership capacity. We understand that is huge. We want to, we don't want you to figure it out in seven years. We want you to figure it out in three years or one year. Um, and so we want you to have the assistance of a coach. And so I guess that's to your point, it, it, it's a sign of strength of organizations that leverage the use of coaching.
2: Absolutely. And um, I've worked with some people who uh, next gen people who went to the boss, went to the CEO who I was coaching and said, I really need some help in this area. And I think Pam could help me with this. Is it okay? Or would you you know, support me getting coaching from her? And, uh, and that's That's amazing that people do that and it it, I'm glad you made the point about it's not a bad thing anymore it's do you want to get there and oh, by the way, do you want to get there quicker. As opposed to just doing everything and figuring it out on your own. How
0: based on your experience. um, How prevalent, do you think sort of that coaching mindset is in the industry. Is it just, you know, for certain mindsets of, of leaders uh in organizations who embrace sort of this coaching mindset because th- there is the mindset and I don't want to judge one or the other is we do figure that I had to figure it out. It, the person before me had to figure it out that mm-hmm. there is a level of figure it outness, right? Yes. It, and that's gonna develop the metal and all the you know, so there is OJT and and and, and but that's the initiative, but high performers are going to do that anyway um but the argument on the other side is well high performers are still going to perform but you're going to get it done faster and with less mistakes and less carnage right? you know along the along the way as you figure it out what so i guess the the first question that i didn't give you a chance to answer is how prevalent do you think coaching is and then um let let you answer that first okay. is this just a a, a few one offs or do you see that as, as a trend
2: i sure hope it's a trend Uh, I'll put it that way, Um, it's easier to talk to people about coaching, whether it's engineering, architecture, construction. Um, It's easier to sell, wrong word, but sell the advantage of coaching because people want results quicker. It's not like it's not like, oh, no, we still have four days to figure out something that we could accomplish in two hours. Um, I hope it is going to continue to grow because it also is something that as we move through the generations, the millennials are demanding it. So the millennials are, are demanding that mentoring and coaching, and if they don't get it, they will leave. So there is that aspect. Well and, well,
0: and 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 the millennials are forty years old now, and so there are there are mid-career professionals ready to take that next level. So it's exactly. not like oh those young people. And so I guess at that sense, I mean, whether it be a generational thing or you know, millennial versus boomer versus Xer, or if it's just next generation of you have been you know the the practitioners and the managers now moving into leadership again a whole different level generation exactly. aside do you think we're on the same page i mean do the people who are say 40 and younger view the world and business the same as those 50 and older
2: i don't think they view the same at all i think the the under 40 folks are much more attuned to there's other aspects of the business besides just what they were taught to do in school. And that business development, people development, building relationships, all of that is a part of the way we do business now. That wasn't the concept, um, you know, for the folks who were in their 50s and 60s. They had to learn to do that. And I have, I have one um, guy that I have, worked with him, I uh, was hired to turn him into the next CEO. And he um, and so anyway, we had a we had a three year relationship. We had a lot of fun, love him to death. And he called me a couple years ago and said, OK, I've got you another me. <laughs> I got somebody I need you to work with because he has his own. He is the CEO of his own firm now. And he said, I've got somebody who's really sharp, but raw, you know, young and doesn't know what she doesn't know. And so please take her on and make it right. And the highest, I mean, how can you get a higher compliment than that? You know, so anyway.
0: So, but I mean, is it just from a a practical business sense, um, coming up? in the past it was hey do your job at this and then you can learn that versus you, you're learning so much more now at, at the lower levels that they don't they're responsible for from business development but not might not understand business development they're responsible for people but they haven't really been taught people um do you think it's there's there's so much more on their plate as a younger professional today versus before or i mean <laughs> Is it the disconnect of the job is very different and so they see business as different um, in their training needs and their coaching needs as different than in the past?
2: It's hard for me to really say from the AEC arena because I haven't been there. (laughs) I was was off being a journalist and doing this other stuff. Um, My assumption is that... um, that the younger generation and I'll use our son is about to turn 36 and he was he was an HR director and an AEC firm and he had to learn all kinds of stuff <laughs> that I mean he wasn't the engineer or the architect or the contractor but he had to learn a whole lot of things that I don't think his predecessor had to learn in that role because it wasn't expected. Um, and the, the awareness of people and people serving at different levels and having different strengths and all that. I think, I think the 40 and under group is very much more attuned. Right. Of what some of the
0: needs are, not really just in their lane. They recognize other people's lanes and how you probably want to merge the lanes at different times. What, what about mindset that you see as far as people that are the next generation? Do, Do you feel as though it's um, I, I want career success at all costs, or do you think there's truly that balance equation that someone who is the next generation probably will not be like the current generation who sacrificed all to be at the top, that they, the, how they approach it is different? And so, leaders of the current leaders have to understand that there's a different balance at play. I mean, do you see that playing out in real time within organizations, or is that just something we read about? <laughs>
2: I'm sure it's more than what we just read about. Um, it's a uh, it's a challenge, I think, for the senior leadership team or the members of the senior leadership team, particularly maybe at the board level, to go, oh, um, we don't understand why these whippersnappers um, want to learn about X. Why, why can't they just do their job? I think there is that mindset for the generation that's been around a long time. And and what that does is, is, you know, you've got these younger people who uh, who want to move up. Our son said at one point, well, I'm in my mid thirties. Now is the time for me to make an impact and to make a difference and I need to be in a job that allows me to do that, and that will support me in that, as opposed to sitting around and and just doing the same rote work over and over and over again. There is a driving need among those people to make a difference. I know that just from our kids.
0: And not wanting to just wait for the tap on the shoulder.
2: No. Uh, (laughs) And and so,
0: and so it's, it's not like, hey, I'm overwhelmed. It's, and i have to now learn all these things it's more of i want to learn all these things because i think that they're important can you give me the opportunities and give me the tools i want to make an impact it's almost like not like i'm overwhelmed help me out throw me a line it's i understand that there's more of these aspects to business there's more of these aspects to success i don't just want to stay in my lane i'll be successful in my lane but i want to understand these other lanes and i want to be able to contribute wherever i can and that's the shift it, it's not
2: absolutely okay it it goes back to the the old paradigm was that the company provided the training for the young people and now it's the young people going I want this training I want to learn to do this that in the last i don't know 10 15 years the shift has been away from the company will hand you training to you saying raising your hand and going hey I want I want to develop these skills. I want to learn more or want to bring more to the table. And that shows up, I had mentioned to you before, that um, work institute report for 2019 that showed that um, 42 million people voluntarily walked off the job. They just said, I've had it. I'm out of here. And the number one reason they did that was career development. So, whereas career development was on the back burner for a long time, career development is no longer on the back burner because the younger generations are demanding it and they will leave their employer if they don't see that they're going to get that.
0: Right. And I've read that in multiple surveys that yes. the number one benefit of employees is training and development. I mean, and do you see the fact that they have to ask for it? is a little bit of a gaffe like we as leaders we shouldn't have allowed that vacuum to happen where people have to sort of reach up and say hey I want this it almost should they ideally they're engaging their people into what training and they understand that the training to meet this is strategic objective to meet this long term uh-huh. objective and right. the short term need I understand. And so I'm providing this now that that being aside, let, let's say um, The void has been filled, whether that be leaders sort of now saying, "Okay, "Okay, I want to provide training and development or the the next generation have been had been successful with making training and development a priority. How how do you see training and development playing off like how playing out from an organizational perspective? How do I design? And obviously there's one on one coaching, but from a team development perspective, I, I have a group of managers, senior managers that I want to move into team leaders. I have a group of team leaders who I want them to become principals. How best do I design my training and development today? It, question. And then with the, also with the nuance of I have remote from anywhere possibly now and possibly forever moving forward. Plus I have remote offices in Texas and California right. and, and wherever. So I want to design training and development for this next generation to be successful. Any thoughts on, on that design?
2: Um, it's a tough question. Uh, the first thing I will say is that PowerPoints should go away. They should disappear into the into the ether. Um, I've done training. I mean, I've developed training courses, and I don't know how well those work anymore. I think. Um, I think the best training, really, is when a supervisor is talking with the the person who's being trained. I think it's the one-on-one conversations. It's giving good structured feedback. So, for instance, um, I know from my years of experience and what I've seen and heard in companies that uh, most people don't know how to give good feedback. Okay, it's just First off, they'd re- you get your work all marked up, redlined, whatever, and you don't learn anything from that experience. So one of the things that we focused on is helping people learn how to give good feedback. And um, I'll just mention it: we have an ebook that people can download from the website. Uh, I'll send you a link to that, but it's about how to give focused feedback in 15 minutes and it's it's don't wait six months don't wait a year to give feedback do it on a regular weekly basis you know bi-weekly basis what you can do because that's how people learn and the -the on-the-job training can't be beat i also have encouraged people to videotape or record their zoom sessions if we're talking about here's a new here's a new product we have to sell or whatever. Record those sessions and, and make those available to staff, have them in your staff library because we're over here talking anyway. All we have to do is hit that little button instead of going out and buying some really expensive training package. Um, I don't have all the answers to how, to how training and development is going to change you know how it's going to evolve i wish it did
0: but what what you're talking about though what you just mentioned is creating your library it's giving everyone access to previously private discrete conversations that apply to majority of the firm and so being able to share that is that access today so having an open mindset of just because i'm teaching and training on this now does we we could if we were a little strategic about it we could actually record this And have it in a library for that. That, that's a little bit of strategic thinking. But what you were talking about as far as training and development, I mean, it it really falls into that 70, 2010 model of 70% of our training and development is sort of on the job Mm -hmm. that's helped, coached, and guided by 20% of our time being that coaching and guiding, and 10% new information you know, from outside the organization right. just to keep the ideas fresh. But really what you're zoning in on is that 90% of thoughtful coaching and feedback and the stretch assignments through on the job training.
2: I think so. I mean, that's how I learned. <laughs> it wasn't because somebody sat down and said, oh, Pam, you're a newspaper editor. Here's how you do this now. Um, it was sink or swim. And here you go. Go make it happen. Um i succeeded i was lucky um but the people don't always succeed when they're right how much great talent home.
0: might have left after a year being frustrated versus staying in the organization or exactly and so it's not just on the job training on yourself it's on the job training but with with a coach basically an, an internal coach as much as yes. you know, possibly in some cases an external coach um how you know as we as we look to close what advice do you have for, um, for leaders might be in an organization, might be members of the board or member of the executive management team who might need to convince the CEO or other members of the board to invest more in training and development in, in general or, or coaching mindset or, or leverage some of the tools that are out there? But we need to really understand our get our, our needs and really invest more in training and development. If there are some people who it's just not a priority yet where they don't understand it, any advice of, of how to make the case?
2: Um, I go to the retention numbers and the cost of turnover because particularly if I'm dealing with someone who's of a numbers mindset and this is the way we've always done things and blah, 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 blah. it's like, okay. Um, one of the things I ran across the other day, one of the articles I ran across from Gallup said that turnover, voluntary turnover is costing this company, this country, a trillion with a T dollars a year. That that's how much businesses are spending because people are leaving. And so retention is a way for me to get to the pain. Now this is sales speak in a way, but that's, that's the way to say, I understand you don't See the value because these we're going to train these people and they're going to leave, and then all that money you invested in that person is going to walk out the door. The counter to that argument is, and the person you just hired from that other firm that was trained by that other firm has just brought all that learning into your organization. So, you know, I I can balance that out, but I think the the fact of the huge huge turnover rates. And and the cost of turnover is so high is what I would use is to, with the board or executive group to say, this is what it means to our company. This is what it means to you if you're a shareholder. You know, th- those people who leave are depleting the money in the bank and that's going to have an impact on your pocketbook. Um, so I I've spent enough time around those numbers that I can get down and dirty if I need to.
0: And do you, do you see the trend in your experience of it's the A players who are going to move and the C players say, C players who are going to stay? I mean, if training and development and opportunities are the problem, the C players stay, the A players go. Do you, do you see that?
2: Absolutely. They, you know, I'm happy. I don't want to take on any more work. I do my work. I get paid. I go home. I see my family. I get to watch football games or whatever. Um, I'm perfectly fine. And that's okay. Firms need some of that. You don't need, a firm does not need to have everybody be a superstar because that's tiring. <laughs> I don't think it's a, I don't think that's a healthy mix. And so um, I think one of the, one of the guys was saying like 15% of your staff be the superstars. And, and then 70% are the, or the doers who are perfectly happy doing what they're doing. Just give them a cost of living raise and an occasional pat on the back or something. You need a mix. It can't all be superstars.
0: Right. You just want you want your fair share and maybe a little bit more of the superstars.
2: Yeah, of course. In order to
0: grow your in your organization.
2: Of course. Right.
0: Um, as we as we close here, any um, anything else you'd like to add um, or share as it relates to encouraging current and future leaders to, to take the next step?
2: I'm going to keep going back to learning to ask good questions and telling is not a communication mode that works terribly well, you know, engage people in conversations and listen. I have several books just on asking good questions, because good questions get people to think. Good questions get people to engage with each other in a conversation. Um, good questions can lead to way more interesting ideas than just me sitting here telling you stuff. Um, and the other thing that point that has come up recently is when we talk about leaders, I shared with you, I think the fact that um, someone I was coaching informally, um, I asked her if she wanted to be a leader. And she thought about it and reflected on it. She said, I want to be on a team. I don't want to lead the the company. And then one of the guys I'm working with said a few weeks ago, "I, I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to run this 600 person firm well I said but the leaders come at different places in the organization and if you're mentoring younger staff you're a leader and so leadership doesn't have to mean you're the CEO leadership is a it comes at all different levels in the organization and different kinds of responsibilities so I I hate to see us you know put everybody in that CEO box because it's more widespread than that
0: right it's almost like redefining leadership in this organization that you know if you're influencing one or more people you're a leader um <laughs> and, and and even if you're a leader you have leader in your title you're actually managing people well you, you will you're managing people and you need to do it well through relationships and, and all kinds of things so there really is this line blur between leadership and management um, at, at at all levels right i mean especially in professional services
2: yes I, I agree with that.
0: Yeah, and so well, great. I mean, any, um, how can listeners um, get in touch with you to um, to learn more about you and what you're doing today, as far as you know, coaching and leading, um, helping coaches, helping coach leaders uh, and organizations uh, through your work at Mentor Loft.
2: Well, first off, there's the website, and that's Mentor Loft, L-O-F-T, MentorLoft.com. And we have uh, pages that are devoted to the CEO executive level, pages that are for the next-gen leaders, and pages that are for those 20-somethings. So the content, there's content there. Um, LinkedIn, my profile is there. I'm active on LinkedIn. And it's Pamela Scott, is P-A-M-E-L-A-S-C-O-T-T. reach out pam at mentorloft.com is fine and just ask questions I'll be happy to chat with people on the phone for a few minutes and say maybe this is what you need to do or here's an option over here and um, we also have a newsletter so there's different options I have somebody working on some of that stuff because I prefer the coaching
0: (laughs) right well I I appreciate you coming on I've appreciated all of our conversations because this is i don't want to say the messy stuff but this is the real stuff of an organization who you know that wants to be successful leaders who want to be successful you have to do it with people and with a strategy and actual action to get things done and because it involves people it's messy and as a leader i will let you down and as somebody i'm trying to lead i know you will let me down but that's okay this is a development process and as long as we're all learning and growing towards a strategic direction um inflexible um, but also hold ourselves accountable we're going to be successful but there's no hack and app for this
2: there it's is not it's just
0: human interaction and an interest in the hard work and so i you know i so anyway, i appreciate this conversation because i i just think it's it's getting to the real issues there's no shortcuts
2: well and you know you alluded or included part of my tagline earlier in the conversation, but my tagline is, you know, numbers may drive the business, but people drive the numbers. And so you can look at metrics till the cows come home. But those metrics are not going to change unless you're working with your people. Mm -hmm. And and I I love that. And the people, as you say, people are messy. It's, It's not easy. There's a lot involved and a lot to be learned.
0: But on the flip side, you know, people are beautiful and cultures can be beautiful and organizations really working and creating growth and development. And in our particular industry, we're creating the buildings and systems of society and and, and the roads Mm -hmm. and the schools. And so it, it can be a great thing, but it's not without the hard work. And it's the people part that we don't get taught in school that we just have to sort of learn and navigate our way through. And to your point, if we have a coach and a confidant we could get through it quicker.
2: You can in, most in definitely get cases. it. You can get through it quicker, and you can also avoid some of the pain. You know, because you have somebody there who can question you and go, "Do you really want to do that? I've seen that before. It's not pretty." So it's it's a really being coached, and I have been over the last twenty years and still am. Uh, is a great gift. To receive, and for me as a coach, and I'm sure I speak for other coaches too, being able to coach and see the development, the development of another individual, is a great gift to receive on my end. Mm-hmm. So I'm hands down on it. Yeah.
0: Well, well said. Well, again, thank you for so, thank you so much for uh, being a guest on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much, Pete. And let's just keep having our conversations on the side because we have good ones.
0: <laughs> Look forward to them. All
2: right. <laughs> take care. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations.
1: for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsproved.com. That's www.actionsproved.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.